This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Reconsider. Uh, today, we're doing a bit of a toolbox talk on electing judges. So this is a very practical, get-or-done um, episode for those of you who are going to be voting for judges in the 2016 election. Because as you know, if you live in the United States, you've got an election coming up. And you've been following it, I'm sure. In fact, you cannot escape it. It is Trump v. Clinton, Armageddon 2016, right? It's sort of like Godzilla and Mechagodzilla just smashing up your city as they go through. Um, but you probably also happen to know somewhere in the back of your mind that there, there are a whole lot of other decisions that need to be made as well. And as a responsible citizen, which I'm sure you are if you're listening to this show, uh, you should be going into this election with ideas about what are some of the other decisions you need to make. One of the more complicated ones is thinking about how to vote for judges because they're not like your typical representative. Uh, so today we're going to be giving you sort of a, a voting aid, not a guide, because we're not going to tell you how to vote or what to think, but we're going to tell you, give you a framework by which you can start thinking about the judges that you might be electing. Yeah, I saw a bumper sticker a couple of weeks back that said, giant asteroid for 2016 just ended already. And that's about how I feel right now. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I saw one that said, well, all right, Hillary, I guess. And I live in Cambridge, so it's it's probably some Bernie supporter that was like, oh, okay, guess I'm voting Hillary, sure. Yeah, I, I, I had to vote fairly early by mail since I am now on a trip, and I left before Election Day coming at you live from Copenhagen, Denmark. So uh, I, I just got around to doing a lot of my research earlier than some. Some folks recently asked that I publish a bit of a voting guide for the California ballot, which is where I'm a resident, which I did. And where I did give my opinions on specific issues, which is, as you know, what we really try to avoid here on Reconsider. So that voter guide is loaded up with lots of caveats about how my opinions does not represent those of the show. Uh, however, in the process of doing my research, and you know, I've noticed this before in prior ballots, but I just realized how really hard it is to figure out how to decide when it comes to judges. You know, they're frequently hyper-local elections. There's often next to no information about these individuals, which makes it extremely difficult to make an informed decision about who to, who to pick. In fact, I didn't even know which criteria I should be using to judge these people by. And the pun certainly is intended. This is frustrating to me. 
So I dug into it a little bit, learned something at least about how to go about making an informed decision with these judge elections. And that's what we're here to talk about today. A toolbox talk, our second one. The first was on different types of power, hard power, soft power, smart power. And hopefully this is something, a toolbox that you can reach into and reference if you ever need to elect a judge again. Yeah, the only the only elections that I find more perplexing than trying to elect judges is trying to elect sheriffs. It's like, what Ugh. am I trying to decide between like how who you know who you're gonna hire is the police like i don't know how abjectly biased you are or are not that one's always a mystery to me and full confession i never vote for a sheriff because i never feel at all informed or capable of making a decision but back to judges now some of you listening have probably never seen a judge on the ballot and that's because in a number of districts they're appointed rather than elected for example you don't elect the Supreme Court that's appointed by the president and then confirmed by Senate. But in 38 states, there are elections for the state high courts, which is a pretty big deal. And 39 states require elections for more intermediate appellate courts, so appeals. And there are three ways that a judge can find their way into a judgeship overall, you know, throughout all different levels of judgery. The first is just by appointment, which we talked about with the Supreme Court. The second is by a retention election, where an executive like a governor will appoint a judge, and after a while, voters will decide if that judge should be retained. And so 17 states use this for some of their judges. And then there's competitive elections. So it's the same way you'd vote for a politician. Anyone can show up, and if they get enough signatures, they're on the ballot, and then you get to decide who gets to judge. Yeah, and if you're like Eric with sheriffs and have gone into some of these judge elections and just said, I just don't know how to make an informed decision, you're not alone. I think it's something like 25% of all voters don't vote for judges at all. And of those people who do vote, it's something like 80% make their decision only based on two or three sentences that might be available on the ballot or even just the judge's title, which we'll actually get to a little bit later. Their titles in these ballots are very interesting. There's a good amount of controversy surrounding electing judges. Judges are, as, as you can imagine, the folks that sit in courtrooms and make legal decisions, right? So it's a highly specified legal role that requires a great deal of legal experience in order to do well. In fact, electing judges is sufficiently controversial that a former Supreme Court Justice, Sandra Day O'Connor, has led a campaign to end popular election of judges to instead rely more on merit, as they called it, which would be appointment. More detail on this in the show notes. If you want to read about Sandra Day O'Connor's campaign, we'll put a link up. Yeah, and the implication from her is that uh, the the population is not good at electing people based on merit, but instead based on political leanings and biases that they have. And she believes that an appointment process by a governor, possibly confirmed by a state assembly, is a much better way of ensuring that the research has been done into these folks, typically by legislative aides and such, before the appointment comes around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, judges judges are not technically policymakers, so it's really not like or shouldn't be like according to some. It shouldn't be like voting for a politician who's supposed to be actually acting in the best interest of their constituency. Yeah, because judges are not representatives. 
they're not here to represent what you think. They're here to interpret the law. And Tocqueville, who you might know from Democracy in America, or might not, but you may have heard his name, he spent a lot of time in the United States, and he had he had some mixed feelings about it, some stuff he loved, some stuff he didn't. And he actually noticed way back in the day that judge elections were becoming increasingly commonplace. And he remarked that, quote, these innovations will sooner or later have disastrous results. Yeah, and Tocqueville was writing about this controversy in the early 19th century, but it's really remained through today. There's a great line from an Economist article, which, again, we'll put up in the show notes, that reads as follows. Electing judges is a bad idea because judges are not like politicians. It is fine for a politician to make deals with voters to say, for example, vote for me and I'll raise the minimum wage or vote for me and I'll cut taxes. But it is an abuse of power for a judge to promise or even hint that he will decide future cases on any basis other than the facts and the law. Quote, vote for me and I'll jail the people you hate. Right. So that's the sort of the case against having elected judges at all. And in fact, a recent study of 276,000 cases in the state of Washington from professors at Loyola and Berkeley schools of law showed that judges give criminal sentences that are 10% longer on average when they face re-election. So it's such a large end sample that it's highly statistically significant. And it is, it you know, the implication of that paper is it is the case that when judges want to be reelected, they get sort of, quote, tougher on crime and they put people away longer to show that they are, you know, going to do what the people want them to do, which is apparently put criminals away for longer. So if judges are making legal decisions, why are you, the electorate or a member of the electorate, picking who to sit on the bench? Shouldn't their judgment on cases be a cold determination of law and reason rather than political influence? Yes, it should be the case, and it very frequently is, but only up to a point. So, you know, judges are required to make their decisions based on legal precedent, of course. But however, there are, there are times when the correct decision is, based on precedent, highly ambiguous. And the judge is required to follow his or her judgment. Often, precedent is quite contradictory. And it's in these cases that when they make a decision, a new precedent can be set, particularly in the higher courts. So the idea is that over time, a judge's legal philosophy can can gradually actually drag legal precedent in one direction or the other. And frankly, the the other case for electing judges is that you could argue against Sandra Day O'Connor that a governor and or assembly is not actually incentivized to be uh, more objective and unbiased in their appointment and confirmation of judges. You might even see, you know, might even be looking at the Supreme Court right now in the United States, where Republicans are saying that they're not even going to consider an appointment by President Obama. So that may be a case where you you might say, hey, look, you know, it's not like I trust the legislators to be able to do this as well. There's no perfect way to appoint the judge of the greatest merit and best soundest judgment. We just have to pick one of the imperfect ways to do it. So the question I asked myself when trying to cast my ballot this year was, given that judges are not really policymakers per se, how should I go about choosing between one or another? So there's this great website that I came across and that I highly recommend checking out. We'll put the link up in the show notes. It's called chooseyourjudges.org, which lays out five 
possible criteria for selecting judges and some problems with each. I use this page a good deal as sort of a jumping off point for my research. And those five points are prior experience, endorsements by neutral associations, and we'll get into what that means in a minute, endorsements by policy-oriented associations, the judges or prospective judges' judicial philosophy, and evaluating that prospective judges' prior voting record. So we can look at these one by one and see what some of the issues are for each of these. So pay attention because this may be a framework that you can use when you're thinking about and researching your judge. So if we look at prior experience, most judges have pretty substantial and similar backgrounds, right? They've been attorneys who have been practicing for quite a while. So they've been either a DA or a defense attorney or something like that. And now they're running to be a judge. So they have advocated for a lot of stuff in the past, and that can give you some idea of how experienced they are with the law and setting precedent, and also may give you some idea of their judicial philosophy, but often not much because, for example, a defense attorney's job is to defend their client. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they want people to get away with murder. Two, endorsements by neutral associations. So a local bar association, they usually conduct a pretty rigorous interview process with each judicial candidate, and they print a guide. So the Bar Association are the same guys that let lawyers be lawyers. You have to pass the bar. The idea with this guide is that there are objective reviews of each candidate by the Bar Association. But of course, they frequently rank each candidate by only a handful of categories. Yeah, for example, the California Bar Association only provides four categories, which go from unqualified, qualified, very qualified, and exceptionally qualified. Yeah, so these bar guides are actually more helpful for tossing out the least qualified candidates than mis than picking the most qualified. So it's it's a good place to start, but it doesn't finish the job. So if we assume that you know even only ten percent of potential judges are exceptionally qualified, you may have three or four different judges that all meet the exceptionally qualified mark, and it may even be the case that there are reasons to vote for a very qualified rather than exceptionally qualified guy. Yeah, and also in this category of neutral organization endorsements. You could also potentially place newspaper endorsements. Of course, this depends on the newspaper, but they could possibly count as neutral organizations. However, if voters only depend on experts to tell them how to vote, that kind of begs the question, why even vote at all? If we're only depending on the opinions of experts, then wouldn't that just be an appointment? Shouldn't we just appoint the judge? So then the third category here is endorsements by policy-oriented organizations. So these are groups that, unsurprisingly, are attempting to push a particular policy or policy agenda. They therefore explicitly see judges as a form of policymaker and endorse them based on the decisions that they would like to see these people making in the courtroom rather than you know strictly on a framework of judgment that they would like to see implemented or an ability to apply reason in deciding a court case. So as this website, chooseyourjudges.org, points out, this is actually a fairly controversial perspective to consider a judge a policymaker, since a lot of judges, if you were to ask them how they saw their role, they would call themselves, quote, neutral interpreters of the law. That said, there is some research that shows that judges do, in fact, make predictable decisions when they need to rely on their judgment to decide on a court case. In other words, and the precedent is not substantially clear. 
And over time, this can accumulate and be interpreted by voters as a policy choice on behalf of the judge. Yeah, and in fact, in Supreme Court cases that are particularly, you know, have a lot of spotlight shined on them, voters often think that the judges are deciding whether a specific policy is a good policy or a bad policy for the country. So, for example, with gay marriage, it was people who want gay marriage thought that the court should vote in favor of gay marriage and people that didn't want gay marriage thought that the vote sh- the court should vote against gay marriage but the job of the supreme court is to interpret the constitution and decide whether a specific law violates the constitution or not so their job shouldn't actually have anything to do with their policy preference it shouldn't matter whether a judge likes abortion or not likes gay marriage or not by the definition of their job They should only be trying to interpret whether the law, you know, in the case of a Supreme Court, even a state Supreme Court, is in line with the Constitution. But there are different ways of interpreting a Constitution, right? So when we look at a a judicial philosophy rather than a political philosophy, we're looking at ways of interpreting law. And there are different ways that people do this. So political philosophy, you might have liberal or conservative, right? That's what I want the world to look like. And those don't really work for categorizing judges, or at least they shouldn't. So again, when people are talking about appointing a liberal judge or a conservative judge, you have to be very careful because what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we're going to appoint someone or we're going to advocate for appointing someone who has a particular political leaning. But by their job definition, you should be deciding instead based on what their judicial philosophy is. So there, there are labels that some academics have created. One of them is a textualist who tries to only apply the letter of the law or plain language to make a decision. So one of the more controversial textualists was Justice Antonin Scalia of the Supreme Court. He died recently. His seat is currently vacated. He is famous when someone said, can't you be a more moderate interpreter of the Constitution? He responded, and I'm going to paraphrase, what do you mean by moderate? somewhere in between what the Constitution says and what I wish it would say. So that's a textualist who says, look, the Constitution says X. These are its words. I don't care what you want. And no, don't try to like tangle the words or twist them in order to make them do the thing that you want. So that's their style. And then on the other side, there are more, there are people who believe that the law is to some extent an evolving document that it sort of changes over time with the external reality, and it's meant to be more of a guideline. But there's a major problem with communicating to voters what these less familiar categories even mean, right? It's people aren't used to thinking about judges in this way. Again, if you look at the news about Supreme Court justices, nobody even talks about their judicial philosophy or what they think about the Constitution. They talk about what they think about like social issues like gay marriage or abortion. So people aren't even familiar with it. And it's also, frankly, difficult to determine a judge's judicial philosophy. Many judges won't openly admit to having one way or another, instead claiming that they're attempting objectivity. They're attempting to interpret the law as it is, rather than through some lens. Because, again, that's their job. So if they have a bias towards a particular judicial philosophy, unlike Antonin Scalia, many of them won't say that they have one or even believe that they have one. Right. And you won't even find a judge calling themselves something like a textualist. I mean, even these obscure academic categories, they generally don't want to sign up to one ideology or another, at least not publicly. So the fifth category that 
this website, Choose Your Judges Outlines, is their a judge's prior decision record in, in particular court cases. So if it's hard to figure out how a potential judge stands and you are willing to implicitly accept that they're some form of policymaker and they've also been a judge before, then you can look at their past decision-making record. Judges may not want to provide detail on how they would vote about something in the future based on some sort of overriding philosophy. And a lot of the times in these Supreme Court, uh, when you're nominating a Supreme Court, a potential Supreme Court justice like in front of the Senate, they're asked, how would you decide on this and this and this? And they'll very frequently defer and say, you know, I can't, I can't make a decision based on a hypothetical case that I don't have information about. But if they've been a judge before, they will have a decision-making record that can be scrutinized for patterns. So if we look back at some text from chooseyourjudges.org, it says, quote, Unlike the endorsements by neutral groups such as state bar associations, using a judge's prior record gives the voter an actual role to play in the election. Rather than simply rubber stamping a decision made by the, quote, experts that a certain judge is qualified, voters can decide for themselves whether a judge's decisions are consistent with the voter's political ideology, end quote. And, you know, you can, from our previous rant about political versus judicial ideology, you can interpret some of the issues with that. The risk with determination by prior record is that the judges will become another form of politician that feels compelled to make a decision one way or another or risk being forced from their position. So, for example, if they voted in what seems like a more conservative or liberal way in the past and people vote for them based on that because they are seeing judges as policymakers, much in the same way they see legislators, then they're going to feel trapped to continue to vote in that way, even when the details of a case change because they think that they're going, you know, that they're a good judge and they don't want to be ousted for another judge. So that this can put some shackles on them and could potentially pervert their decisions. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so now we've talked about some context for how to even think about electing judges and why they're elected. Now we're going to talk about how to actually make your decision how to pick. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about how I did it. I don't think this is stepping over the political neutral line that we try to keep on the show because we're describing a process and I'm caveating that this was my process. So, first, I did read a little about what criteria to judge judges by and you can say that 10 times fast, but that's basically how I got some of the context that we talked about in the first part of the show. 
Then I went to this website, chooseyourjudges.org, and they actually have a quiz that you can take, which is worth doing if they cover your district. And it's supposed to you know, align your ideology or philosophy with the correct judge. So they won't ask you, are you a textualist? They'll ask you a lot of questions and then kind of infer based on your answers what category you might fit into that's not just liberal conservative. And what's nice about this website is they've basically already analyzed a ton of cases for you. So you don't actually need to go out and find these court records. It just take an immense amount of time. And for a lot of folks, frankly, you could probably just stop here, taking this quiz and seeing which judges uh, are recommended for you. But not all judges that are up for election are covered in, in Choose Your Judges database. And in fact, most of mine weren't, actually. So I had to go beyond this. So next, I went to my local county bars association website, and several judges who were running in my election actually got this unqualified mark, which is the lowest you can possibly get. So this acted as a low, no-confidence filter for people who just really weren't equipped or qualified for the job. After that, I cross-checked judges that received the qualified marks from this bar association with the LA Times, which is my local paper. They have a recommendation list, and obviously you would just go to your own local paper and see who they're recommending. So this was helpful for me, since instead of just broad categories like very well-qualified used to describe these candidates, they actually gave some background on why they're giving their recommendations for a particular candidate or another. After doing that, I did go to each candidate's website, and some of them list prior trials that they worked on, if they were judges and if they weren't, what their role was as a prosecutor or defender, and how they made decisions or what their role in the case was. This just gave some general sense of experience to sort of check what the LA Times was saying. That's a lot of work, man. It is. And again, if you can stop after taking the quiz, I think that's okay. It's just your judge might not be covered. Here's what I didn't do. I did not review individual case decisions. Frankly, I don't know how to do this. I didn't want to learn, and it seemed unduly burdensome, frankly, for a layperson like myself to be digging into this these sort of court documents. I also didn't look at candidates' description on the ballot. So, you know, you see the person's name, and then below that it says, like, what kind of attorney or whatever their background is. So you'll notice that a lot of these judge candidates have titles like violent crimes prosecutor or child molestation prosecutor or civil rights defense attorney. What I think is pretty important to know is that these are all made up titles that don't mean anything. They use these titles because they know that most people are not going to do any homework whatsoever and will vote on a whim based on whatever information is staring them in the face when they actually go into the ballot box on election day and that information is some sort of flashy title so i think it's probably worth ignoring these titles that they list below their names so for those of you who are voting judges voting for judges you have a pretty substantial burden right You need to decide first whether you want your judge to be like a policymaker, like an alternative to legislature that can push policy that you happen to want to see when the legislature won't do it via their their interpretations and precedent setting in the law, or whether you are looking for someone who's going to interpret the law or your state constitution 
in a way that you believe is the right way to interpret law in the state constitution. The former of which is pretty easy, but doesn't align so well with their job description. The latter is much harder to figure out and requires a lot of work. So I, as someone in Massachusetts who doesn't elect judges, I don't envy you. But since you are electing judges, it's something you need to think about how much effort that you want to put in to doing your sort of civic duty here. But there's an even bigger question that we want you guys to reconsider. Given everything that we've talked about vis-a-vis electing judges, do you think it makes sense to elect judges? Should the people who generally don't have deep legal knowledge necessary to judge a judge's performance or a whole lot of time to be able to research these judges extensively, should they be able to decide who sits? Does the process negatively impact the legal process and the judicial process in each state? Or does it place an effective check on the system? Do you trust the governor and the legislature to be able to make a better and or more objective decision than the people? And as you reconsider this, you can think long-term about whether you want to get involved at your state level to change whether you do or don't elect judges. So that is today's Reconsider. We'd like to remind you to check us out on Twitter and Facebook if you want to follow some activity. We post stuff up between episodes pretty frequently at Reconsider Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. Also, if you get around to it, we would very much appreciate a quick review on iTunes. Every positive review we get ranks us a little higher, helps us get our message out to more folks. So, for those of you voting for judges on election day, and everyone who's voting, good luck. There's some work ahead for you to do. Hopefully you'll enjoy the process of getting your arms a little more deeply involved in the democratic process in your state. And remember, as you do, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric, signing off. And this is Xander, signing off. See you next time, guys. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.